Welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Ben Cartwright is here. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Chris Brummer is also here. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, how are we both this fine, fine evening? Not too bad. Not too <laughs> bad. Um, yeah. I'm doing. I'm doing great, Dave. Living the dream. Good stuff, good stuff, Chris. I'm glad. Thank you. Glad you're happy. Uh, certainly not a happy week uh, for Stoke City on the pitch with uh, footballing matters, but we're not going to start uh, with that stuff. Thankfully, uh, we of course have to start with uh, the sad passing of Stoke City and England legend Gordon Banks, uh, who passed away on uh, Tuesday morning. It's hard to kind of uh, do justice. Uh, to Gordon Banks uh, especially with three people who never got the chance to see him play and we only have clips and tributes from people who did see him play and tributes from players who played with him and things like that Uh, but the sheer reaction to this has been quite overwhelming I mean throughout that that Tuesday uh, to see players as dispersed as Pele to current England players of today with Maradona and Buffon and the German national team all paying tribute and seeing the statue throughout that day gradually fill up with flags and scarves and memorabilia not just from Stoke City but from clubs all around all around the world really and all the stories that came out it's been a it's been an emotional few days, and uh, especially so when it was announced that his funeral will take place on March the 4th, uh, the same day as Stoke City's League Cup triumph. Uh, ben, you were part of putting together a documentary on the iconic Pele save, and I got the chance to meet him. I remember I took the piss out of you for wearing a super dry shirt <laughs> when you meant to, went, went to meet Gordon Banks. You did. Um, you did. Um, I I, I, wore, I wore that t-shirt in spite of myself because I just I don't think about sort of getting a pitch with anyone and I, I, I knew that I was going to meet Gordon Banks that day and in my line of work there are a few people that come into the office that some people would sort of think oh they're famous you might want to get a picture like for example you've got people Ollie Murs came in one time and you get people in the sort of in the in the lobby being like oh my god that's Ollie Murs but for me um yeah, the day that I got to meet Gordon Banks was incredible. Um, I was so nervous but excited, and but as soon as he sort of um, yeah he he arrived and obviously got chatting to him before I interviewed him for this documentary. Um, he's just like just being like I mean I I never really sort of I've I obviously had granddads but I've never met one of my granddads and my granddad died quite quite when I was quite young so I never met someone or had have like loads of memories with a granddad figure and he was just like a granddad he was just so kind he was like sort of I think he offered to make the tea and I was like no no I'll make your tea don't worry Gordon oh. <laughs> um, I might do a bad job but I'll try my best um, and it was just lovely he was just sort of uh, just such a nice man um, and yeah he yeah spent an hour sort of talking to him about that save that you must have talked about a million times. I felt quite bad doing it, but that's 
that's why he was there. Um, and he did a, a wonderful job and it was one of those situations where then he finished the interview and it was, it was almost like, well, I, did, I didn't want him to sort of walk out the door I, and I don't think he was too fussed about walking the door. He was quite happy to sort of just sit there in our office and have a chat about a few different stories and, and that was just lovely. And then, and then, yeah, it was time to say goodbye and I've, I've literally, and this isn't a lie, at, part of my job, as I said, people come in, I haven't asked a picture with anyone except for that Gordon Banks day and it was literally just before he got into his car to be driven back to his home and I was like oh, if I don't ask him oh actually I, I'd already asked him to sign a few bits as well because I, I need to get him to sign and it was obviously that was absolutely easy and then yeah just before he was about to get in the car I was like oh god if I don't do this I, I will massively regret this I was like oh do you mind and he's like no come on come on um, and yeah and got the picture I'm so happy I, I've got that and, and I've got that memory of him because it's I don't I, obviously there has been stories in the past week about the sort of knighthood which is I mean if you believe in knighthoods and even if you don't I think it is absolutely silly that he's not got he didn't get a knighthood um, and I can't remember what I was going to say with that um but yeah, I mean, well, my point was that yeah, he didn't get knighthood. He, he obviously for people in my office building, maybe not the most recognisable face these days, but for people like me and you and and Chris and obviously really anyone who's associated with football, anyone who calls themselves a football fan should know what he, what he looks like. But um, but yeah, absolutely wonderful man, and it is it hit me hard when the news came through. It really did. I don't know about you two, but I was just sat at work and I was like, I don't really want to do work at the moment. Now I want to sort of well, I did. I just sat through looking at Twitter, reading sort of as you say likes of Gary Lineker saying he was his hero and obviously then the Pele story came in later and it was just yeah fabulous I chatted to him for uh, probably all of five minutes for for Wizards of Drivel uh, when Terry Conroy introduced us and uh, I remember just feeling so nervous and so in awe of his presence this he would have been 80 at the 80 at the at the time and like the word it's interesting to use the kind of grandfather comparison he is very grandfatherly is it he is at the same point like a, a really i unfortunately have to use the word was now he, he was at the same time this this sweet old guy who, who looks like he wouldn't hurt, hurt a fly but also at the same time a, a world famous sports star the greatest England goalkeeper of all time possibly the greatest goalkeeper of all time you know someone who uh, is known to football fans throughout the world who made the greatest save of all time all the rest of it you've got it's if you had to add a lineup of people and said pick out that guy pick out the world famous goalkeeper out of that lineup you would you if you didn't know, you wouldn't pick someone who looked like Gordon Banks because he just looked so unassuming. And um, yeah, to speak to interview as well, it was mad because I was I must have been asking him questions, and I, I know you'll have had that feeling as well. But I I must have been asking him questions he'd heard a thousand times about the 1972 team playing in the 70s. Tony Waddington, uh, for you, is obviously the Pele save and stuff. He's had that question like literally every day since he made that save. But he just had a grin and a smile on his face the whole time. He was so pleased to talk about it. He didn't seem at all uh, perturbed by my kind of very awkward interviewing style. Um, he was just, just a fantastic guy. And uh, yeah, and there's been... The, the tributes have at the same time being overwhelming and not quite done him justice because there's countless stories that have come out. Uh, I thought the letter to the young uh, fan from uh, back in there, that was particularly touching a, a kind of handwritten ex, ex, explanation of how to be a goalkeeper. That was lovely. Uh, a lot, a few videos are going around of um, his penalty save against Jeff Hurst, which is, that that is mad because <laughs> I've never seen a harder hit penalty than that Jeffers penalty. That doesn't make <laughs> sense. And uh, also, uh, when because I'd written something about banks ages ago for another thing, and I, I revisited it, and he got the North American Soccer League Goalkeeper of the Year in 1974, I think, whenever he played for Fort Lauder- Fort Lauderdale Strikers. He had he had one eye. And he was the goalkeeper of the year. Um, 
Chris, I know you're uh, you're sort of Sheffield based now, and mm. uh, Banks being a Sheffield lad, what's the kind of uh, reaction been over there? Do you know what? I wouldn't say it's been particularly like oh we've lost one of one of our own mainly because i think gordon banks transcends an area like obviously we associate him with stoke he's associated with us as a club but i think he, gordon banks is nationwide isn't he he like everyone knows him everyone claims him as as a historic figure because he is a historic figure for england he belongs to the to the nation and um I mean, in Sheffield, we have outside the t- uh, the town hall, they have uh, like famous the stars of celebrities, and Michael Palin's there, and Sean Bean's there, and, and Gordon Banks is there. Um, but there's not, as far as I'm aware, there's not been any particularly special thing going on because he was from Abbeydale in in Sheffield. Um, but it, no, it's it's very it's been it's been very moving, and it's made me revisit some um, some some memories and some favorite stories i love the fact that um he he always he he told the story of what was he he regarded as like a almost professional or at least his goalkeeping debut in in league football was uh, in the yorkshire league and he uh debuted for for it was raw marsh welfare and raw marsh is literally just down the road from me and on his debut he conceded 12 goals and he uses this as this lovely example in stories to be like, you know, don't don't give up on your dreams. I conceded twelve goals on my on my debut. But one of the things I always remember, you know, I've never I've never seen him play. So my the the only times I've seen Gordon Banks is elder statesman associated with the club. And I I remember when we had the hundred and fiftieth anniversary and they had the march of all the legends round the pitch and we were playing Spurs and. Brad Friedel was warming up in goal for Spurs and he clocked Gordon Banks coming round and he made whoever he was warming up with like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I need to run over here. And he ran over to Gordon Banks and was like shaking his hand. And it was like, he was absolutely overwhelmed to meet him. And I'm kind of like, that's that's Brad Friedel, who is, you know, a pro- professional footballer and who at that stage had had a really, really decent career. And he's going over to someone who is literally a legend of the game and it meant you could tell it meant so much to him and i don't I, and the way you two describe gordon banks is so approachable it kind of you almost forget that no this is someone who is a uh, a massive figure in the english game i mean like i said on the on the on the day that the term legend is get gets banded around very very loosely but i mean this is literally un, until england the national team are successful in any other competition, he is the pinnacle. And even then, even if England were to do something special, it would take something special to replace the name of Gordon Banks as like the most important goalkeeper for the country. So it's, it is a sad loss, a sad loss because of an absolutely fantastic player, but almost more importantly, a, a humble and brilliant human being. The, the the statesman word is absolutely spot on, and I was trying to think of the first time I, I saw Gordon Banks uh, in the flesh, and he, he possibly, he almost certainly would have been on the pitch at Stoke at a game or two when I was younger, but I remember going to the Gordon Banks versus Pele charity match at the mm-hmm. uh, Britannia Stadium, as it was, where the, the, the statue was unveiled. I mean, talk about a statesman. He was stood on a podium alongside Pele and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu. <laughs> There's an iconic photo of Banks, yeah. Pele and Tutu holding up Stoke shirts. And uh, uh, others. It's like, it is like a, a statesman's appearance when he does things like um, go into the World Cup draw with a Stoke, with a Stoke tie. tie. And, you, and, and you could just feel like the whole of Stoke country going, <laughs> is it a Stoke tie? Is it a Stoke tie? Um <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, absolutely uh, self-deprecating with it as well. I love the the fact that when he describes the uh, Pele save, he he says he thought to himself, "Banksy, you lucky twat." Yeah, I think that was the uh, the swear word he used. Um, and 
and just just now uh, I've posted to the Wizards of Travel Twitter a video of a, a dog invading the pitch at, at <laughs> Leicester. Just just like this funny video of a dog invades the pitch at a Leicester Man United game. Banksy tries to catch it, and and Banksy's just laughing to himself, talking about it. He says, "Oh yeah, typical me. I couldn't hold on to it." It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, don't put yourself down about everything, mate. Come on. Um, yeah, there's. There's been so many uh, fantastic stories and tributes and all the rest of it. A lot of discussion about how to maybe honour him at Stoke City. I mean, uh, Danny Baker's tweet about uh, every goalkeeper wearing a sort of blue England shirt gained a lot of traction. There's been talk from Mike Pedrick about moving his Stoke statue to kind of the front of the stadium. Uh, There's been talk of naming a stand after him. Uh, I don't know what, what what do you guys think what what what's either caught your attention or what do you think would be kind of appropriate naming a stand fit would would feel very nice I think I don't think anyone would disagree with that especially sort of in this modern age where everything has to be sponsored it would be nice to put aside the need for cash um, for a club legend uh, who's sort of just been like he just feels like he's been there he just feels like he's been part of Stoke for as long as I can remember like obviously he played for Leicester as well and whatever but that's the thing as you say Dave it's like I don't know when I first saw him in the flesh or sort of first associated but it just feels like he's always been there so it'd be nice to sort of have that definite thing that 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 the stand being named after it it just seems fitting Mm. um yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about moving a, a, moving the statue or anything like that, but yeah, something nice. It's obviously a very rare occasion. This isn't going to happen often, but if there's there's someone associated with a club that deserves it, it's got to be Gordon. And and yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's something that we can help with or if anyone from sort of Twitter, we like to feel like we can do stuff and make stuff happen, but um, certainly I would get on board with pushing that to happen if, if I could. Uh, before we move on, we've put together a short tribute to Gordon Banks. Our thank you to Pete Smith, Angela Smith, Anthony Bunn, Dave Smith, Ben Rowley, Tony Lloyd and Ian Meller for all of these uh, memories and tributes to Gordon Banks. Hi Wes, it's, it's Pete from Sentinel. I'm not old enough to have been able to watch that great Stoke team under Tony Waddington, but I have grown up, like I guess quite a lot of us, with stories about that team and those players and I'm lucky enough now to be able to talk to some of them on quite a regular basis. That did mean I had a bit of a jolt recently when Terry Conroy was talking about how poor they'd been in a certain game or a certain season. And I had this sudden realisation that for all my life, my dad and my uncle had been exaggerating about this team who had got on a pedestal among the very best players there's ever been in the world. Um, I mean, they challenged for, for titles in England, but I had them next to anybody. Except that really was true for Gordon Banks, and you can tell that from the way that his teammates are still so reverential. The tributes that have been coming in this week from Pelé and Maradona and Zoff and Buffon. This was a, a football god who played for Stoke at the peak of his powers and then stayed as a fan after he retired. I was talking to to Danny Smith yesterday about that penalty save against Jeff Hurst and Dennis was saying he'd never seen anybody kick the ball as hard as as Hurst did on that night at West Ham. It is outrageous. Just look at the reaction um, from the other players on that video. And and that that was Banks. What a man. That there are two players in the West Ham side not daring to look. He will not look. And now it's Hurst against Banks. Gordon had this special quality of being humble and he had time for everybody. I remember us attending a pantomime together when his children were quite young uh, and he hardly saw any of the panto because people were queuing down the centre of the aisles until uh, the theatre staff stopped them to get his autograph and he never ever turned down an autograph or later years a selfie with people. He, he was a special bloke, as I say, who had time for everyone and he made everybody feel special. 
I always got a, a kick out of introducing him to anybody right up towards the end actually of his life when um, he did a special interview for Duck Magazine and I remember introducing Anthony Bunn to him um, he was sorry Anthony he was a bit in awe of uh, Gordon but very quickly Gordon put him at ease and we sat and we relived those wonderful moments of him making that save against Pele he was a legend and he was an icon and the likes of which we'll not see again at Stoke City uh, we're very lucky to have had two icons Sir Stan and Gordon playing for our club but as I say he was the most humble and down to earth person that I think I've probably met who had a right if you do have such a thing to not be humble uh, the club in the world of football have, have lost a superstar, but locally we've lost a great community man who bore his illness with dignity and still, right up until virtually his death, raised thousands for Alzheimer's, a charity that was very close to his heart because his brother suffered with it. So for me, Gordon, your saves were precious, but your friendship was priceless. Rest in peace. It hits the top of my hand and it goes in that direction. Honestly, God, I thought it was a goal. And I now see the ball bounce behind the goal. And I said to myself, Banksy, you lucky <laughs> As a proud Scot and long-suffering Scotland fan, having an England legend as my favourite player and all-time footballing hero can sometimes raise an eyebrow. But universally, when I say who it is, people will nod enthusiastically or sagely. No one would ever question an allegiance to this man. I've been a goalkeeper for as long as I've really held an interest in football and for as long as I've been a goalkeeper there's always been one person on a pedestal in my mind. I never had the honour to see him play but I devoured everything he'd written or spoken that I could get my hands on and a version of him lived inside my head for many, many years. These are from my memory so apologies if I'm misquoting but things like the first job of a goalkeeper is to organise my defenders. If I have to make a save I've already failed. And... If I have to dive, it means I was in the wrong place. I've echoed through my mind whenever watching or playing football for as long as I can remember. From the front windows of my house, I can see the Tinsley Fields where he played as a youth in industrial Sheffield, and I assume where he learned his trade as a brave and agile goalkeeper who didn't care what he had to do, as long as that ball didn't go in his goal. My goal, that attitude, it made the player. It was his proudest possession and his to protect by whatever means necessary. His goal was all that mattered. In the years I've been attending Stoke matches, I would often try and be there early for a midweek evening game so I could stand outside the main entrance, knowing that my hero would likely emerge from his car and trudge up to the doors on his way to watch the Stoke side that he watched over his president perform. Naturally shy, I'd never said more than a good evening or a hello. I couldn't bring myself to further interrupt his progress. And I knew that if I managed to start talking, I probably wouldn't be able to stop. But just to see my hero in the flesh, a hello, an occasional smile and nod of acknowledgement, meant more to me than I can find words to explain. Rest in peace, Mr Banks, and thank you. Carlos Alberto, that dangerous, Giardino. Only left over standing. Hi, this is um, Bunny from uh, Doc Magazine. Um, just uh, some words on Gordon Banks. Um, uh, met him and interviewed him um, about 18 months ago now. Um, at the, I always call it the Trust House 40, the, uh, the hotel which is by um, at Clayton, just by Junction 15. Uh, the M6, um, met him there uh, mid-morning um, and I got there nice and early as you do for, you know, people of that stature. You don't, uh, you don't rock up late when, you know, you're interviewing Gordon Banks, I suppose. And uh, basically he walked in and he, you know, he's, I'm quite tall, I'm 6'3", and he, you know, he's, he's quite a, quite a small bloke to be honest because you know you think of goalies have been tall but you know just the aura I mean people talk about aura um, just just massive as soon as he walked in it was full of business people and whatever the whole place just stopped and um, I said to him you know, you know, into, you know 
where shall we do the interview and introduce myself and whatever? Um, and where shall we, you know, where, where shall we go? And he, he just pointed, and there was a sign which said the Gordon Banks Suite. Uh, but and he, and he and he laughed at the same time, you know. So there was no ego involved. He just thought he, he throughout the interview, which was about ninety minutes, um, twice as long as a normal interview, he was, you know, he, very humble. And that's the 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 thing what's come through this week is uh, his humility. Um, spoke about his early life, you know, the the fact that you know he shoveled coal to earn money for his family because they hadn't got a lot of money. Uh, when you know when he was a fourteen, fifteen year old lad, how he was spotted missing a bus meant he he was. I think he was going to watch Sheffield United or Sheffield Wednesday and missed the bus. Went to watch a local team. They didn't have a goalie in the rest of history. So you know that's the kind of stuff that you know you often think's made up, but you know you know it's it, 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 you know a, a, you know just a dream scenario and. Uh, and then the interview, I was just like a little schoolboy, to be honest. Never saw him, never lucky enough. I'm uh, not old enough to have seen him, but my dad filled me in on, you know, what, how amazing he was. And, uh, yeah, he was to, to sit around a table and he reenacted the Palais save with, you know, salt and pepper shakers and pots and uh just totally surreal absolutely totally surreal but whatever what shone through was his love of the love of the city uh love of the people absolute love of tony waddington uh like i say most interviews last half an hour 40 minutes or whatever and uh i think you know i think 90 minutes and uh could have gone on and on and on so like, you know, they say never meet your heroes it's absolute rubbish that go and meet them Try if you can ever meet and meet your heroes. More often than not, they're really decent people as well. To be honest, and uh, there's none better than Gordon. Never mind how good a goal he was, and you know, pretty sure he's the best that you know there's ever been so far. But as a human being, absolutely unbelievable. And just hope the club doing proud next Saturday. To be honest, and you know, it's not a good season on the pitch at the minute. Um, fans are a little bit uh, fed, well, lot fed up. Um, we need something. And what we can do, I think, as supporters, is next Saturday is make sure that we give Gordon the send-off he deserves. So. And there's Garland now going in, and Banks saving it. Tremendous challenge by Banks, a dreadful back pass by Bernard, and Garland stretched out. Wonderful skills there by Banks, spotting so quickly that Garland was coming in so quickly. And that could well be the last crisis over for Stoke. Dave Sexton looking a bit drawn now, a little bit strained. Harry Medhurst, the trainer, with him. And Gordon Banks, having lost two FA Cup finals with Leicester, now just a few seconds away from winning one with Stoke, and he's done it! Stoke have won to the delight of their bench and their supporters. Hi, this is Ian from Scholar Green, and I just wanted to echo everybody else's statements by saying what an outstanding person and gentleman Gordon Banks was. Not only did he touch the world in 1970 by making the greatest ever save, he was also the greatest goalkeeper to ever walk the planet. Here at Stoke City, he was an ambassador for the city, not just a great player. And I want to join everybody else by saying, rest in peace, Gordon Banks. I had the ball. I, I already jumped to say go. Then I looked there. I did, I did go. Oh. <laughs> I'm far too young to have ever seen Gordon Banks play, but I know how much of a legend and hero he genuinely was in football. Uh, he had so many wonderful achievements, but it's not just that. He was also a wonderful person as well. I actually met him. I met him in Pizza Hut in Newcastle under Lyme. I was there with my friends. He was there with his family, just eating a meal. My ignorant teenage self just wandered over whilst he was eating and interrupted and asked him for a photograph. He didn't even bat an eyelid and he kindly obliged. Looking back on that, seeing how humble he was then, and looking at some of the tributes coming in today, not just from football fans, not just football players, but big figures in the world too. He seemed like he touched a lot of people's lives and 
he wasn't just known for his wonderful footballing ability and achievements. He was a fantastic person as well, and he made a lot of people's lives better. I hope that Stoke City, the FA, and the world of football gives him the send-off that he deserves, because he seems a one-of-a-kind, and there aren't going to be many people like Gordon Banks left in the world. May he rest in peace. Uh, I remember I was in the playground of schools in junior school in 1967 and someone said Gordon Banks has signed for Stoke and I just couldn't believe it Gordon Banks the goalie who'd won the World Cup the best goalkeeper in the world was going to play for Stoke City it was a fantastic moment and then it proved to be so good because of all the great memories we had of him right up until 1973, he, and the, you know, the 1972 League Cup win and, of course, the fantastic save that he did against Jeff Hurst in that semi-final. A fantastic memories. Right, we're back. Uh, Stoke, what a... <laughs> what a dis- <laughs> do we have to do this part? <laughs> I'm... This is a desperately trying time to be a Stoke fan. I'll put that mildly. Uh, I went to Wigan on Wednesday, and you know what? In the in the in both games we played this week, Wigan and Ipswich, we've been the better side. Now that's not saying much of anything, <laughs> having seen both performances. Um, Wigan was uh, a mild improvement on recent defeats in that we weren't getting torn apart and uh, save for James McLean uh, one-on-one with the goalkeeper we didn't do much either so it was did I regret paying £25 to go and see that game? (laughs) Possibly uh, I did get to uh, experience the delightful town of Wigan, so that was all right. Um, yeah, that game will not live long in the memory. Uh, but then we go to Ipswich Town, bottom of the league. Paul Lambert managed uh, probably the worst team in the world. Uh, haven't won in a million years. Uh, we go a goal up, an uh, absolute scorcher from <laughs> McLean. Uh, and then we can see it in the last minute. I mean, how, how how do we keep finding new ways to just kick ourselves in the, in our own <laughs> testicles? It's just disgrace. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the, the a funny thing that you you didn't mention there is the fact that the the James McLean scorcher was set up by Stoke City principal transfer target Nudson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We didn't need to sign him. Tony Skulls saved a few quid. He's bloody assisted us trying to let, try to help us win anyway. <laughs> oh dear I me! Mean... They, they weren't. It, Ipswich were not were not good at all, and I definitely felt this is a case of we have dropped two points here rather than oh, we, we we're lucky to to. To come away with a point because, like, whilst Ipswich had pressure in the second half, it certainly didn't feel like we were gonna capitulate, except in set pieces, which is where we fell apart. And it, it, we we just we've just shot ourselves in the foot yet again because, in all honesty, I felt whilst we weren't amazing going forward, we didn't look like a bad team. Um. Or at least we looked more structured than we have done. Uh, again, this is against the worst. Like they were, they were not good. I have to emphasise Ipswich were awful. Like they, their goal point in fact is such a calamity of errors. I would have been, um, I wouldn't have been surprised to have seen us do that last year when we got <laughs> in the Premier League because it was that type of absolute cluster of a of a goal. Um, but but for us to just and in the last seconds of the game as well in the last seconds to to just to switch off and you can and I've and I've watched the replay 
they they just switch off. They do not follow marking. Uh, their their man, their men. They don't do their marking. They it's the same thing as happened um, against whoever it was we lost to last week. Because this is how good this season Hull. is now. I, Hull, yeah, was it Hull? Who I'm on about? Who we lost? Yeah, we we conceded. No, yes, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, sounds about you- right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They just blurring to one. All these crap performances against shit was, teams. I hate Hull, us so it? much. It was Hull where the, their goal was um, some player was free on the like the left hand side of the box and just passed it across. That was Hull. See, I don't even know anymore. I don't. This, you're right. It all blurs into one, and. I just I'm I'm finding interest in other things that aren't yeah. Stoke, <laughs> and I think we have to because otherwise it's bad for your mental health. Just it's just boring. Like bing. coming up with excuses week in week out. Coming sit like not chatting with you. Obviously that's not boring. It's absolutely wonderful. But trying to find ways of saying it's going to be all right, which I think essentially is the podcast when we lose, is that we're trying to find some sort of silver lining in the cloud. It's like where are those silver linings for Stoke fans? Why? Why are they allowed to score in the last minute? I just it's it's that simple. Like they are they are a rubbish football team, and I'm, I I don't even care if, if if you think I'm talking about Ipswich or Stoke. They are a rubbish football team, and for goodness sake, it it would be one thing being a rubbish football team who are in some way entertaining to watch, mm. or a rubbish football team who were you know having a bit of a go. Now, bizarrely, if you listen to Ipswich Town fans, uh, Paul Lambert is their manager and they're bottom of the league. They're having an all right time, all <laughs> things considered. Seriously, listen, listen to their fans. They've got a bit of a spirit behind them. They've got a bit of, oh, well, we're going down, but you know what? We're going to come back up next season. We've got uh, investment in youth. We've got uh, you know a bit of a spirit about the team, even if it's very limited. And we're just in the, the complete opposite world. Mm. Um, but that's really it, isn't it? Yeah, the games are an that's... absolute fucking chore to watch. Um, I'm not going to the Aston Villa game, which it'll, it'll be very sad for me because I won't be able to you know, pay my respects to Gordon Banks at that game. But what other reason is there to go to that game if you're a Stoke fan? Well, you know, obviously support the club, whatever, get behind them, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. But it's going to be shit. It's going to be no, a dog piss game. That's the thing. There's no there's no spirit amongst the players and there's no spirit amongst the fans. Like, what is there currently to hang your hat on and get excited about when when all things are considered and it's dark stuff? There's, there's usually one thing where it's like, well, at least we have this one glimmer of sunshine and it just doesn't feel that way at the moment it just like i it's weird because i don't think we're in a situation where i worry for this team but even if we were like i kind of just i'm not worried for them i just want to see the back of them i just yeah yeah, you just want to control alt delete start again don't you yeah get rid i get that's it like like I will, um, we we do this podcast every week, and obviously we all deeply care about Stoke City. But I can honestly say I don't like this this club at the moment. I don't like the players. I don't enjoy <laughs> watching us us play. I don't. I just don't. I, there's there's nothing. Is it nothing really exciting? And it and it like genuinely. I it, it like yesterday. They concede. They conceded the goal, and usually a really like us us losing or drawing a game in the last seconds. I I'd be in a foul mood for a Saturday, and I was just like, no, nah, oh yeah, that's that's no surprise. We've done that, and that was it. It was like I I just come to expect it now. <laughs> I was in a foul mood yesterday. I was in a foul mood yesterday evening, and I think. Stoke City Football Club is like a computer, it's like a laptop where one of the programs has stopped working and you're trying to click X, you're trying to close it down and it's not working, like nothing is working that computer, you're literally <laughs> stuck with a computer, you just want to fucking chuck it in a river, but you know you can't do that because it just, it costs too much, it means too much, 
you want to restart it, but there's just no way. There's no way to do it. It's just going to have to run out of battery. Then we'll start again. That is it. That is a fantastic metaphor, Ben. If only for the reason that I, I think you've based on the first thing you've seen in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> My computer's not working. <laughs> oh, I'd stoke. They're like a lamp. <laughs> there is also a lamp right in front of me, and a radio, and a pair of glasses that I, I'm not wearing. So maybe, maybe I can't oh, see. I- I, I don't think Stoker like any of those ones, Ben. Stoke, Stoker like me, not wearing glasses. I can't really see what I'm doing. <laughs> Stoke, I like this cold cup of coffee. It's just cold. I wish we were warm. How do we make Stoke warm, Chris? <laughs> do you know what the thing is? And the annoying thing is I watched that stupid fucking video of Norwich... Passing oh, the ball around to It's like a goal. different sport. That Jake Humphrey shares. It is. Jake Humphrey shares going, oh, is this Norwich or Brazil? Well, it's Norwich, isn't it? <laughs> Shut up, you, Jake. You stupid man. But God, I hate, I hate Jake. I've I hate you. I've got a massive irrational hatred to Jake Humphrey. I don't, I don't like him either. Is, but I hate him. I think it's his tweets. But like... It's his army tweets. It. Yeah. But you... Prick. Sorry, Jake. But you watch that you watch that Norwich video. You watch the Norwich video and like at least when Man City are doing it, I can be like, They're different of league. such a level above us. Literally they are league. on a different planet, it's a different sport. They're, that is what that is what the the world class facilities of, of Manchester City will get here. But this is Norwich, they're in the same league as us. They're, this is the team who I know how we'll get in the heads of our opponents. We'll paint our away dressing room pink. Like, this isn't a good team. <laughs> They've got nothing. <laughs> Norwich, who are like, oh, let's try and make rivalries with everyone. No, no one cares about Norwich. And here they are, passing it around and making me feel sick. Because that's what I want. I I just want to enjoy us, and I don't at, least, at the moment. At least now, we, we, we've still got to hold on to Nathan Jones being the saviour. I'm still sticking on to it. I'm still sticking on to hope. I think, actually, it's very difficult, obviously, at the moment, because it's just going so wrong. But maybe each week, we should all listen back to that interview about Nathan Jones that, that Dave did. Each mm-hmm. week, just keep, just keep yeah. the faith. We've got to pray. We've got to hope that one day... We are the Norwiches. We, Jake Humphrey will one day tweet a, a video of Stoke passing in football and we'll be proud that day. <laughs> one day. One day. That's the dream. Nathan Jones. God willing. God, God willing, lads. God willing. <laughs> lads, I just love diamonds so much. Like, I love, I love diamonds so much until it doesn't work with Stoke. <laughs> dickhead. And then they play like Gary Rowett, Jesus. who is shite, apparently. Who knew? Yeah, it's been a it's been a baffling week for old Jonesy. Not least because he's abandoned his beloved diamonds and he's uh, gone to a formation that has made everyone really depressed. But uh, breaking out of that accent, which I uh, I annoyed Tom Thrower with a lot against Wigan. Um, yeah, another man who doesn't enjoy watching us play right now is Bojan. Uh, a just <laughs> it's not only not only does it want to make me cry this interview it also makes me fucking furious what yeah what I mean to have not been involved in two of the worst Stoke teams of the past 25 years is one thing to have been loaned out is another uh but to not have to be, to be seemingly have been ostracised by the club and the previous manager to have been so scornfully tossed aside uh, for it seems to be no good reason other than the fans like him. It's just so fucking embarrassing. Imagine having a player this good. And in the worst period in the club's recent history, we treat him like shit. And not only a player this good, but a player this fucking dedicated as well. We've gone on and on mm-hmm. and on about players who don't give a shit, players who aren't playing for the shirt, players who are mercenaries. Bojan is none of those things. And if this was uh, Glenn Whelan, 
or Rory Delap, as Gary Rowett once compared him to, or Ricardo Fuller, there'd be riots in the stadium. You know, it's fucking stupid. What an embarrassing, grotesque, mean-spirited bunch of bastards we've had at Stoke City. Fucked off. I I just, I just really, really don't understand the what he, what he's meant to have, meant to have done wrong because, so obviously I, I, you, you tweeted about it on the Wizards account, Dave, and I shared it, and people, um, had it, had a go back and told me off for sharing gifts because they said I was twelve years old, um. And but the general the general thing being oh yeah but this is clearly this is now well there's six managers who who clearly don't fancy him and it's like well no that's incorrect but even if we take your your what you're saying what he was when he played against Hull he was one of the better players in the team like. When he's played for us this season, we've looked the better for it, and it's been noticeable. Like, um, colleagues at work spoke on that first day of, oh, when Bojan came on, you looked much the better team. Like, we look, I, I don't understand what it is that he's doing wrong, unless it's stuff behind closed doors, unless Bojan is like this. Um, master manipulator, and he's actually this massive dickhead behind the behind closed doors, and he's got us all, you know, thinking we he is this wonderful, lovely man, and actually he's a bit of a bastard. Like, unless that's the case, I cannot understand what is what's going on. Um, and and the thing that frustrates me is I'm there have been numerous occasions where we've all thought on this podcast that. that Right, Bojan isn't going to play. Let's just move him on. Let him go play somewhere else and get in the players that w- that would suit the system or that that w- will suit the players. If Bojan isn't the player that we need, then so be it. And we had that opportunity in January, and we said no. And granted, yeah, it's only four games or whatever since the close of the window. He still has an opportunity to to play, but. I'm. You can't be telling me that Bojan isn't a better option than James McLean or Tom Ince in the number ten role or Joe Allen in the number ten role. He he is like it's not even a matter of opinion. Like oh, this isn't me thinking. Oh yeah, I think he's. He like he categorically is. <laughs> like everyone can see that he's a better because that's his natural position. It's not ham-fisting Joe Allen into the number ten role that doesn't suit him. It's it's it's, it's, it's like, like it's like it's I'm, like arguing Jack Butland is the best goalkeeper at the club. It's like oh <laughs> no, we haven't. We uh, maybe give Tom Ince a running goal. He might be better than Jack Butland. It'd be like arguing that. No, it's oh yeah. Just the problem is the problem is they're not getting it. That is the the biggest issue is. I just don't understand that situation whatsoever. This we've talked about it for a long time on the podcast that we don't know what goes on at Stoke City, and we obviously still don't, and we ne- probably never will. Um, but what, like, why has he been stopped from going? Why is he not playing? Like, what is the problem there? Where he's clearly not the worst player. That I think that's the the biggest issue for me is Bojan when he plays is not the worst player. And there are other players that continue to play in the team and don't get dropped, but he is always the one that only gets one game. And yeah. Nathan Jones, I believe in you. I still do. I'm not going to jump ship because I promised that when he signed, we have to give him this season. This season is dead, and I think we all said that. But mm-hmm. please explain to us or change your behaviour with Bojan because it does not make any sense. And And I think the thing that really... I find confusing is I again this was an argument that someone was was throwing at, at me and, and others like well we you know what we we asked the question well if if Bojan isn't wanted why have we kept him and well we've kept him you know to push Tom Ince and because we need backup in that position really because this is the same Stoke team that felt that Eric Peters wasn't a suitable fit the only left back and loaned him out anyway and now he's playing a midfielder at left back. You can't be telling me that if Bojan was detrimental to the 
to the spirit of this squad that we wouldn't have got rid of him. We wouldn't have accepted an offer from Major League Soccer like for him to go and play. Like I find that ludicrous that Nathan Jones has said time and time again that he is big on character and big on getting the right people in. If Bojan is a poisonous spirit in that dressing room, then he would be gone. It's just not the it's just not the case. Uh, there's a post from uh, the Oakgate user Red White, which uh, I want to kind of close the Bojan discussion on. Uh, it's just a weird situation. If all we had to judge him on was his performances three years ago, then there might be an argument that he'd completely lost it. But whenever he's come on this season, it's been clear as day, to me anyway, that the bloke possesses more footballing talent than any other player in the team by an absolute mile. Completely composed on the ball, constantly finding space and looking to go forward. That's not even a glowing praise of him as much as it, as much as it is a damning indictment of the shit players around him. Those who work hard but struggle to control a football are useless at passing and possess no attacking vision whatsoever. If and that is spot on for me because just look at our last two games. We can't create anything unless and it's shit it switch player heads it into our path. Two yards from goal with an empty net. You know, we can't create at all. Uh, he continues, If we were still a mid-table Premier League side playing decent football without him, then it might be understandable not to play him. But we're not. We're bottom half of the championship, which, despite this cliche notion of competitiveness, is full of very shit teams with very shit players. We're creating nothing because our team is full of uncreative players and we've got Bojan rotting on the bench. Other players can have five shit games in a row and still get picked. Bojan has, Bojan has a decent 60 minutes and gets dropped. Very weird. I understood it under Rowett. He was a stubborn, nasty bloke who wanted to play ugly football and clearly hated the fact that the fan favourite was skillful. But Jones has come with a reputation of playing total football and he's not playing a most exciting winger. Yikes. Uh and finally, moving uh, on to uh, another sad uh, thing that you kind of touched on earlier, Chris. Um, yeah, the, this shit time for Stoke is one thing, and but also I think there's a toxicity that's spread now, and it's it's manifesting itself among the fan base. I mean, we've. Uh, done this podcast for about uh two and a half to three years now and uh it's that that time span covers a, a pretty horrible time but i think more and more now people have just had enough of arguing with stoke fans because ultimately it's wound up nowhere uh this is on social media i know a lot of people are just fed up of arguing about Stoke because it's it's not just like having a debate over who you think should start at left wing. It's now just becoming pathetic kind of one note insults and I get that sometimes when you're passionately defending a position like, you know, I've dare say gone into battle for Bojan more times than I can count on social media and all the rest of it, but <laughs> It's just become so draining now for so many people. So that coupled with this shit Stoke championship team is just making things worse. But I also think it's at the games as well. I mean, Tom Thorpe, bless him. I, you'll know this, Chris. For, uh, you'll know this, Ben, sorry, from the uh, Shrewsbury game. Tom Thrower just uh, doesn't have to do much to get someone... Uh, at the game to have a go at him. <laughs> and yesterday, uh, Wigan, he, he praised Ryan Woods like for two consecutive good passes <laughs> and like there were people around him making comments like oh you're going out with Ryan Woods then and like it, it there's no kind of it's no kind of sense of unity at the moment I don't think I think in general people are going to give Nathan Jones time and I think that's a good thing but I don't I'm just so tired of Stoke fans hating each other when we should be hating uh the club for being fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> Spot on. Yeah, I can't disagree. Can't disagree. Um, I think everyone, especially on social media, just needs to log off for a bit or talk about something else for a bit. How, how about 
we just have a week where we don't really talk about Stoke. And let's let's find other things that we've got in common and, and talk about those things and not uh, not argue for a bit. Because it, it, it is, it's just a very, very angry time. And I get it, everyone's frustrated and everyone has differing opinions on why things are bad and everyone is looking for an outlet. But it's, it can't be good for any of us to keep just coming on, logging on to a social media seeing the first comment and then instantly firing off a passive aggressive tweet like i am i'm i'm really trying to just not I, i'm not trying to i get involved in any of that type of stuff really any anymore like everyone's entitled to their different opinions i'm not looking to fight people on twitter um because what's the point like unless you un, unless you are coming at a conversation and it's a nice mannered thing and you're clearly looking for a different opinion shouting at someone on twitter telling them they're wrong about joe allen or saying that they're an idiot because they don't go to games that's not going to convince a person of your point of view and it's a bit stupid so i'm i'm just not engaging (laughs) in that anymore and i'm just gonna tweet about nice things and other things that hopefully everyone can enjoy and i would recommend that everyone does the same and rather than being negative and terrible for this next week let's just just be nice let's just let's talk about our favorite albums mm. or what we've enjoyed on telly <laughs> maybe maybe next uh, week's podcast should just be um should just be talking about things we like <laughs> We might we have Yeah, let's do a film one. Just I went I went on the team of John O'Shea's podcast, didn't I? And that's a football podcast and all I did was talk about films. So let's just do that next week. Get in touch uh, if you've got an idea for just a positive happy podcast we can have cuz uh, God knows we need one. Um next week's is going to be positive though cuz we're going to beat Villa lads. So There we go. I've called it. There <laughs> we go. There he always is. going to happen. As always, hope. Um, reminder: if you want us to, if you want to support this podcast, uh, you can do in a way that gets you free beer over at beer52.com forward slash wizards. And we've got our Patreon page, which we're hopefully going to upload a new episode to very soon. That's patreon.com forward slash wizards of dribble. Thank you very much, guys, for for joining me. Thank you, Chris. No, thank you, Dave. And I hope we have a nice week. Yeah. Can I say another thing positive as well, just on that beer thing? Yeah. Came home. Obviously, if you don't, if the listeners don't know, I live in Manchester, away from my parental growing up house, but my brother still lives at home. Came home. What was what was in the um, in the old room? A box of big beer, and I had a couple of the beers, and they were lovely. And I'm, I haven't even done it myself. I was like, Dom, what are you doing? He's got beer <laughs> off the podcast. Yes. Yes, Dom. Oh. So, copy, copy, Dom. Yeah, beautiful. Had some lovely Korean beers. How about that then? Uh, okay, fantastic. See, always end on a high note. Uh, but I will not end just there. I will end instead with the words of Don Mullen, who is an Irish author who wrote the book Gordon Banks: A Hero Who Could Fly. At the age of 15, I witnessed Bloody Sunday, and like many of my age group, I considered joining the IRA. I understood what many did, but there were a number of reasons why I never made that choice. My parents were one reason, my football manager and a best friend another, but one important reason was my sporting idol, Gordon Banks. I loved that man. As a youth, I instinctively knew him to be an ordinary, decent and down-to-earth human being whom I wanted to model my life on. Banksy was like a friend who lived in my mind and who filled me with hope. Rest in peace, Banksy. Go on, Stoke. Ali and Eusebio found he was the best. Uncle Alf knew he would stand the test. Banksy, Banksy, lads and dads alike.
found he was the best. Uncle Alf knew he would stand the test. 